Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 121 and we are recording on March 6th. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Many hand wavy. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing like a weird cheerleader thing, like arms out. Yeah. What are you reading? <laughs> I am reading. I'm reading some nonfiction for once in my life. I am reading uh, Empress: The Astonishing Reign of Noor Jahan by Ruby Lal, which is not coming out until July. Sorry, sorry. Um, but I am super excited about this book because I am a sucker for engaging non like engaging history and um this book is doing kind of what i feel like stacy schiff has done for cleopatra for example it is a book by a feminist historian about the empress nur jahan who was around in the 1600s and married a mughal emperor and then became his co-sovereign and like actually ruled alongside him and sometimes in his place um, when his health started failing, which is not a thing I knew about. I knew nothing about this woman. Um, I think I knew that she was the mother of the emperor who built the Taj Mahal, but that was all that I knew. So I'm really delighted to be like learning about an amazing historical woman, especially right now because life. Uh, so yeah, so I'm really excited about it. Sorry that it's not out until July, but that's Empress uh, by Ruby Lal. Um, I am reading, I have just started Salt Houses, um, which is by, I don't remember, oh, Hala, Hala Alyan, uh, who's a Palestinian American poet and writer, novelist, obviously. Um, this came out last year, and I sat on the hold list for my library for this book for Elva, and I finally got it. <laughs> um, so this is I guess historical fiction. I honestly don't know when that like starts, what the cutoff point is. Uh, it's about Palestine in the 60s. Well, that's where it opens, is Palestine in the 60s. And it's a multi-generational story. So you're following a family um, from that time. Like It starts just before the Six-Day War, which is in 1967, um, and then up through like kind of present day. So uh, like this one of the sons of the family becomes really like politically militarized. Uh, one of the daughters and her husband flees to Kuwait City, where they are in the 90s when Saddam Hussein invades. Um, and then their children get like scattered to Beirut and Boston and Paris and all these different cities. Um, so, you know, it's it's the story of the Middle East, essentially, and how these people were forced out of their homes over and over and over again um, against their will to different countries, different cities, and then eventually different continents because of the conflicts that are happening in their um, in their homes, hometowns, I guess. Yeah, cities. Um, so I really I'm I'm enjoying it. And as much as like reading about really heavy subject matter can be enjoyable, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm engrossed. I'm like here for this story. Um, so yeah, salt houses. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. 
All right. We have a little bit of feedback from an insider named Sybil about questions from the last show. Um, she says, for the person who was looking for true crime books, my favorite true crime books currently, or recently rather, are The Fact of a Body by Alexandria Marzano-Lesnovich and While the City Slept by Eli Sanders. And then for Teresa, who wants engaging narrative nonfiction, Behind the Beautiful Forevers, Life, Death, and Hope in a Mumbai Undercity by Catherine Boo. The author embedded herself in a very poor area of Mumbai for a couple of years and wrote this book based on what she learned. So there you go. All right. Before we get to our first question, I want to remind you about our Instagram giveaway where we are giving away $500 worth of the Penguin Clothbound Classic Series, which are designed by Coralie Bickford-Smith. Y'all have seen these all over. I know a lot of you collect them. So this is a really easy way to get a whole bunch of them in one fell swoop. Um, They're super, super pretty. And uh, some like really beloved books here. There's some Dickens and Tolstoy. So just go to our Instagram account. It's at Book Riot. You can see the post pinned at the top of the profile. Uh, and all you have to do to enter is tag a friend. And you can tag as many people as you want. And every separate tag is counted as a separate entry. So the more people you tag, the more you know you increase your odds of winning. And we are running that until I don't remember the exact date. <laughs> I think it's the 26th. Um, but you've got a while. You've got at least a week to continue entering. So go do that. Okay, what's our first question? Our first question is from Sally, who says, I would love some book recommendations uh, for books written by Korean authors or about Korea. I recently read The Vegetarian by Han Kang and The Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson and realized I do not know very much about Korean culture and history. I loved the cultural side notes that were included about Japan in Ruth Ozeki's Tale for the Time Being and would enjoy something like that, but about Korea. I'm open to fiction or nonfiction and historical or contemporary works. Okay, so our first sponsor, if y'all listen to the All the Books podcast, which is our podcast uh, that comes out on Tuesdays about the week's new releases, then you will have heard me today, actually, as we're recording on Tuesday, the the episode came out today, um, talk about this book on the show because I loved it so much. So now I'm going to do the ad read for it, which I guess makes sense. And it's Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rayo. Uh, And this starts in, like, the things that they're saying about it, that it's a debut novel for readers of Rupi Kaur, which... Okay, <laughs> I can see that, but it's like much, it's so much m- more than that. I don't even know. So the two main characters are Purnima and Savita, and they are born very, very poor in a village in India. Um, and, you know, the strikes against them are that they are poor and they are female. And also that they're very ambitious. Like they become really close friends through the first part of the book. They become like really, really best friends, very devoted to each other. And then they start thinking through their friendship, encouraging each other to think outside of their village and the futures that are being kind of written for them of poverty and arranged marriage and having children and doing nothing and going nowhere. Um, and then so, so they are like dreaming really big, coming really, really close, and then something terrible happens and they both get like flung onto the, into, out into the world, into other, like the underbelly of India through different cities in Europe and then they end up in Seattle. They're driven apart by circumstances that are beyond their control And then the last, like, three quarters of the book, which is, you know, the bulk of the book, is about them searching relentlessly for each other, like, just trying to get back to their friendship together. It is such a hard read. It is essentially about human trafficking and is very difficult to get through, but it is so, so worth it. It's harrowing and beautiful, and I don't know, like, if you are any kind of literary fiction reader, I really, really encourage you to go check this out. So that's Girls Burn Brighter by Sheba Rayo. Shoba Rail, I'm sorry. Okay. 
I just keep going. Mm. So Korean literature, I selected for you um, a book that's very hard to describe, which, you know, is great because this is a show about describing books. <laughs> um, and it's I'll Be Right There, which is by Kyung Suk Shin, and it's translated by Sora Kim Russell. So this takes place in the 80s. Uh, and nothing much happens. <laughs> it's about a young uh, 20-something woman who's, like, just kind of out of college. And she gets a call from her ex-boyfriend, who she's not spoken to for several years, uh, that, that, like, is very distressing. Like she, the, the phone call that she gets from him causes her a lot of distress. And as she's dealing with that, she starts to remember these, like, moments from her kind of tumultuous youth where... Uh, her mother died, who she was very, very close to, which left her really emotional da- emotionally damaged. Um, you revisit like her really strong relationship with one of her former with her college professor, who is now dying uh, in present day, as the book is set. Um, her falling in love for the first time with someone who does not love her back, and all of that is happening against this really um, disruptive political upheaval that was happening during the time, but it is mostly about one woman, like thinking about her life, you know, it's not plot driven, um, despite the fact that so much that's happening in the book in the background is like, you know, student protests against dictatorships and all of this political upheaval. It's really her thinking about like how much she loved her mother and then her mother died and how sad she was. So, um, if you have no background at all in Korean history, it can be a little like Wait, wait, what's happening? Um, so I did have to like go back and I don't know, you know, read like a Wikipedia article to kind of center myself in the time frame because I, I was unfamiliar with what was happening. And she isn't writing it for like a Western audience. She's not thinking like Americans who don't know anything about Korea are going to be reading this and I should probably explain myself. Like it's that's not what's happening, which I appreciate. Like it is very much just about one woman in one time period in Korea and what her life was like. Um, so it's like brief and beautiful, which is like, I don't know. There's something about those kinds of really, those, those little books that pack a big punch that I really love. So that's I'll Be Right There by Kyung Suk Shin. I picked The Calligrapher's Daughter by Eugenia Kim, which is a historical novel and also another mother-daughter story, actually. Um, Eugenia, the author, is the daughter of Korean immigrant parents. And this novel was inspired uh by the life of her mother. Um, So it starts in early 20th century Korea, and the young girl, who is the calligrapher's daughter of the title, uh, has been encouraged by her mother to, like, be educated and to, you know, use her brain um, and and maybe to be a little bit more than a housewife, which is, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with that, but her mother wants more for her. Um, But her father is very determined to maintain tradition, especially as the Japanese are occupying Korea. Um, and so he tries to marry Najin, who's the main character, into an aristocratic family, but her mother decides that instead she's going to send her to serve in the court uh, as companion to young princess. Um, so, like, already defying tradition. But then the king is assassinated, and the dynasty comes to an end, and then Najin has to, like, sort of navigate this world that's falling apart around her and also trying to, like, continue her education when she's a woman in a society that doesn't really prioritize women's education. So there's a lot about Korean history here, obviously specifically 19th century Korean history, um, women in Korea and what their lives were like. And then it's a really, it is a really beautiful family story. It's full of those complicated, tangly feelings. Um, And I just found it so... 
atmospherically written. Like I really felt like I could see, you know, even though these things were unfamiliar to me as I started the book, it all felt like I was there and seeing through the main character's eyes. So I really loved the way it was written. So this is, yeah, definitely a book that like gives you some historical context while also telling a really compelling family story. So that's The Calligrapher's Daughter by Eugenia Kim. Okay, question two is from Kevin who says, um, I wanted to give you a huge thank you for recommending Captive Prince. I've heard you recommend it a few times before but never got around to it. Um, I finally decided to pick it up from my library. Suffice it to say, I think this is the book I've been looking for all my life and I finished the series in three days. I'd love to know if there are any read-alikes out there. The Captive Prince series checked almost all of my boxes. Male-male relationships are strongly preferred and no need to worry about trigger warnings for me. I've already read and loved Amberlow. I've also read The Magpie Lord, but only thought it was okay. All right. Um, I'm so glad you liked it. I'm always so nervous when I recommend The Captive Prince to people because it is so problematic. <laughs> and I'm like, I kind of wait for people to come back and be like, how dare you recommend this book to me? Um, but I do because I love it. I don't know. Anyway, so I guess I'm glad it worked out this time. So my recommendation for you is Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps by Kaya Shanti Wilson, which I know I just talked about on this show because we like called that episode right. Demigods Go for a Walk or something <laughs> like that. We did. <laughs> which is exactly what it's about. It's about Demigods going for a walk. Uh, this is a novella from Tor, and the main character's name is Domain, and he is a demigod um, who is like a healer and like a very kind of... I don't know, like teddy bear of a guy and like just wants to hug everyone and like fix the world. Um, and he's been hired to defend this caravan, a caravan of goods um, that has, I mean, what it's functionally like a whole army defending it uh, because they're taking a really dangerous road to move the goods that they're moving. Um, there's like a necromancer that haunts the road and all of this kind of stuff. And so uh, it's, it's dangerous and you're, you're like following them as they walk this caravan down to where they're supposed to go. Um, but at the same time that that's happening, Domain falls for his captain, like the captain of the, the guard that's guarding the, the caravan, who is also himself a demigod. And they're like really different. Like Domain is, you know, like he's a big guy and he's a, a, a he, people call him a sorcerer, but he's like a healer. Um, and the captain is smaller um, and has to like keep his hair covered because his hair drinks sunlight. And every time he exposes it to the sun, he like gets stronger. So it's very magical uh, in a way that the captive prince isn't, but it is set in kind of, I feel like the same sort of like, you know, pseudo medieval kind of time period where like there's no pre-industrial revolution, basically um, pre any kind of technological revolution, uh, except for ones that built us weapons. Um, but it's a really, really beautiful love story and short and easy to get through. And it is also there's a sequel um, called A Taste of Honey, I think, yeah. which is also in develop. Yep. So that's The Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps by Kaya Shanti Wilson. I love those books. Although I will say that uh, Taste of Honey doesn't have the same characters. It's sort of separate characters, but it's set in the same world-ish. Um, but I loved it. Okay, so I like had to make myself notes for my recommendation, which is the Valdemar Last Herald Mage series, um, which comes with trigger warnings for rape, child abuse, and suicide. Super cheerful stuff here. Uh, so yeah, if those if you don't want to hear about this, feel free to forward. Um, but you said that you were down with you know trigger warning, like you don't need to worry about them. So um, I read this book as a kid, this series rather, and really loved it. And I like as I was rereading and prep for this show, I was like, how did this not 
Like, how did, how did this not scar me for life, basically? Like, there's a lot of really complicated and problematic things that happen in this series. What did I love so much about it, and why didn't that bother me? And I think the, the reason I landed on that I hadn't really articulated before is that I, I had a pretty sheltered childhood, so a lot of these things that I just gave trigger warnings for were very abstract to me. Like, they didn't feel real because they weren't part of my experience. And so, as a kid, I just kind of glazed over them. But now, as an adult, like, these things are real, and I've dealt with some of them personally and have friends who have dealt with others of them. And, like, it means that it is much more complicated to read something like that on the page. And that was an interesting experience to sort of revisit something that I hadn't read on a deep level. Um, but they are, it's a fantasy series, um, also pre-industrial. And I was thinking about Amber Lowe and, and, and what makes that book so compelling. Um, and I think this, this series, because of the events in it that are triggery, it, it, it has so many complicated feelings and that is what I remember loving about it is how you see the character, the main character, working through this really complicated stuff. And also there's magic. Like, it, it, it was that combination that made it a winner for me and why I'm recommending it to you. So it's a chosen one story. But the thing about Vaniel, who's the main character, is that he, like, actually has zero, you know, interest in magic. Um, he wants to be a musician. And he also wants to get away from his family who have made him feel very uncomfortable about who he is. Um, and he is, they use a different, like they use a magic word for it, but he's gay. Um, and he has been like suppressed and oppressed by his family. Um, and he wants to be a musician and, um, you know, it just doesn't like is living like a very unhappy childhood. And he gets sent away to be fostered with his aunt who is a herald mage. And he um, falls in love, and then this really traumatic thing happens that I'm not going to go into because spoilers, um, but it basically sets him on the path to being like the last hope of his world. There's warring kingdoms, and there's dark mages, and there's just like tons of battle sequences, um, but you see him grow from this really confused and kind of frightened and like bratty, not to put too fine a point on it, kid into this like adult who's grappling with all of these like personal issues and also much bigger, like complicated like responsibilities because of the position that they're put in by his talents. So it's it's got a lot going on. Um, you seem to be down with people wrestling with problematic feelings, which I think is what this will give you. Um, also like sword fights and mages and you know horse companions and all of those fantasy trappings that I definitely loved as a kid and still enjoy a lot. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Give it a try. <laughs> the first book is Magic's Pawn, and that is the Valdemar the Last Herald Mage series by Mercedes Lackey. All right, so let's see. The next question is from Michelle, who says, coming off Black History Month, I need help. I listened to The Bone Tree, read Brown Girl Dreaming, and read Invisible Man. Um, they're all great. I have noticed, as with Homegoing, several of the books by people of color are very mentally heavy when reading one after another, and justifiably so. I'm looking for a female voice, mid-20 to 40s, lyrical, fun, a bit biting, with her girls, with a story to tell, something almost musical. I don't want YA, and something where the setting plays a part got anything what you got amanda 
Okay, I picked The Sisterhood of Blackberry Corner by Andrea Smith, which takes place in South Carolina in a really, really small town uh, in a close, like really close-knit African-American community in the 50s. Um, and it is written in, like all of the dialogue is written in like a very particularly musical Southern dialect, which I think will fit that part of what you're asking for. Um, and also the, like the, the, the fact that they're in a small Southern town, like the, the setting is very much a character here. So, um, the main characters are, well, Bonnie is the main character. She and her very best, like her ride or die best friends, uh, is Thora and Bonnie really wants a child. Like she, she really desperately kind of wants to be a parent. Um, but her husband can't have children and he refuses to adopt. Like he's a very macho kind of guy, you know, it's the fifties. Um, and he doesn't want to raise what he calls like another man's child. So they don't know what to do. And then one day they find a baby on the side of the Creek in their, their, you know, neighborhood. Um, and the baby they think is dead. And like no one in this neighborhood can like really fathom of like why someone would leave a child on the side of the creek like that. Um, and then she finds out, like, Bonnie finds out what has happened to the baby and the back, kind of the backstory. And through that discovery, her and her best friend and a bunch of the other, like, their friend group of women from her church decide to create this kind of, like, what is essentially, like, an underground railroad for, for babies that whose mothers cannot raise them. You know, I mean, like, this is the 50s in a time when reproductive freedom was, like, not a thing. Um, and we're having not having a child had, was like kind of a social stigma. So these like church women, this like group of women come together to like kind of give, find homes for these babies that whose biological parents can't raise them or don't want to. Um, and so you follow these friends from like their, you know, twenties to forties, early marriages, early lives up into adulthood. When one of the placements that Bonnie did, like kind of comes back not to haunt her, but like comes back to, you know, questions are raised and she has to provide answers and all this um, kind of stuff. But uh, so it's not like, as I'm describing it, I'm realizing that it does sound heavy. And it is like, these are not unimportant topics that they're dealing with. Um, but the book is also about like these friends, like this really, really close knit church of female friends or these close knit female friends who like all go to the same church and live in the same neighborhood and like do everything together. And they like very, like I said, they're very right or die. Like they go through their marriages and deaths and child rearing and miscarriages and all this kind of stuff with each other. Um, and their voices are really what drive the book. And it is, since it is historical fiction, like it is also a consideration of those kinds of like, you know, auxiliary groups and social clubs and things that black women, especially in the South needed to have in order to kind of sustain a normal life, uh, in the face of everything that they were dealing with in, um, the mid-century America in the South. So that's The Sisterhood of Blackberry Corner by Andrea Smith. Yeah, I am excited for this question because fun, a bit biting with her girls with a story to tell pretty much describes this romance series, paranormal romance series that I am obsessed with. Um, so I am recommending that. It is The Unleashing, which is the first book in the Call of Crows series by Shelley Lawrenston. Uh, the main character, Carol Watson, is multiracial. And she is, uh, she lives in LA and she is a military veteran and she's now just kind of like 
trying to figure out what to do with her life after being in the service. Um, and then the setup for this, the, the paranormal part of this romance series is that the Norse gods are real and they have sort of human uh, warriors that they choose to sort of, you know, do their bidding and like fight for them and war with other clans and retrieve magical objects and that kind of thing. Um, and one of the goddesses, Skald, doesn't tap sort of the like the descendants of the Vikings, which is what most of the other gods are doing. Instead, she goes looking for the women who would have been enslaved by the Vikings, like in in history, and the descendants of those women. So, sh- like her warriors are all women who have been killed unjustly and offered a second chance at life. Um, and this is what happens to Kira. She is like basically murdered in an alley and Skald appears and is like, I want you to be one of my warriors. Like, what do you think? And she's like, sure, if I can bring my pit bull <laughs> because Kira's the best. Um, and Skald gives her talons and wings and like sends her off to meet her fellow crows who are so ride or die. And what I love the most about this series is that like it is a romance series. Kira falls in love with the dude. Like he's, you know, strapping and has abs on the cover of the book or whatever but the heart of this book is about Kira like learning about her fellow crow warriors and finding that even though they don't all like actually like each other like Kira's driving them crazy with her military precision and her clipboards and they want to like put a pink rhinestone collar on her dog and she's like how dare you um and they just like get into it over everything but when push comes to shove like these women are all there for each other immediately no questions asked like ready to kick butt and it is so wonderful to read and it's really fun and distracting and like it's magic problems with a side note of real life problems which is a really great combination I think and Shelley Lawrenston writes in this really it is kind of biting and kind of silly and fun and it's just they're just a pleasure to read I like tore through the whole series in like a weekend um, there's three books they're all out although I really hope we're getting more because I just I need all of this forever basically uh, so that's The Unleashing by Shelley Lawrenston okay question four is from Miraja who says I am supposed to be getting a book for someone who I don't know based on their reading profile they said they like autobiographies, especially ones related to travel and sports, and that they are looking to get into self-help books. They also mentioned their favorite books are The Last Lecture, Mud, Sweat, and Tears, and 1,000 Days of Spring. They have a completely different reading taste to mine, so I'm really out of my depth and hoping you could help. Okay, I picked A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson because it is autobiographical and it is a travel book, but it takes that, you know, man goes off into nature to find himself premise of a lot of self-help books and a lot of the books that he says are that this person says are their favorites and like totally turns it upside down Um, so bill bryson decides one day that he wants to walk the appalachian trail which stretches from georgia to maine um despite the fact that he's not really a hiker (laughs) i mean like he does day hikes and stuff but not over not like through hiking or overnight hiking or anything like that um and he's going to take one of his friends from high school, one of his best friends growing up, and both of them at this point in their lives are like in their 60s. They're both out of shape. Um, Neither of them really have experience doing anything like this. Uh, And so it turns into like this hilarious epic of these two goofy dudes who like have no idea what they're doing trying to make it through the Appalachian Trail, which, spoiler, they don't really do. (laughs) Like they they, they hike it, but they don't hike the whole thing. And he 
mixes in with this like these hilarious stories of of them trying to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, he mixes in history of the trail and eco, um, ecological, like really interesting ecological tidbits about the different areas of wilderness that he's walking through. Um, so it's got a lot of the elements that, that this person seems to be really drawn to when it comes to books and reading, but uh, it, it really takes that, um, I'm going out and I'm going to walk forever and through this hardship, I will learn things about myself, which is what Bryson's goal was. Like he did intend to go walk the Appalachian Trail to like learn a thing about himself and just turns it into like a really comedic goofball of a journey, which I love. And he is so cranky. Like, he's so openly cranky. <laughs> it is my favorite. So that's A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. I am recommending one of my favorite books of last year, A Guidebook to Relative Strangers by Camille T. Dungy, which is an essay collection. I think is the right word for it. It's not exactly a full-on memoir. Um, and Camille is a writer and a poet, and she, like, lectures a lot. So her livelihood is based on travel. Um, and she also is a mother. So so she uh, is traveling often with her very young daughter. And the essays in here are both about being a mother um, and being an itinerant person, like somebody whose job it is to travel, who also loves nature. There's a really lovely section on like California wildflowers. And then there's another really like sort of funny and like, oh, uh, like makes me cringe a little bit section about like, she's on a hiking trip with a bunch of people and it goes wrong. Um, and then also she is a black woman. And so part of it is her examining what her travel is like uh, being seen as a black woman or like being seen as a black woman who's also hiking, which is, you know, sort of, like against stereotypes. Um, and there's just a bunch of really beautifully written passages, but she also has a really very matter of fact sort of point of view and is really good at, you know, just describing the people and the world she sees around her in a way that feels both like beautifully worded, but also very accessible and very, um, like you're having a drink with somebody at a bar, kind of, almost. But like, but they're the, like the best talker in the world, <laughs> is, 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 is the vibe I'm trying to get across. Um, and it's really thoughtful, and it's very engaging, and it moves very quickly. And yeah, I was looking at this list of things, and it sounds like they like thoughtful books. Um, you mentioned they like nature and travel. Or like, it all seems to kind of... It, it, and you know, there's, there's not really a self-help element here, other than that she is thinking about her life and the choices that she's making and what she wants for her daughter and what's actually happening in her life. Um, and, and that is often a good mirror and or a window for the reader to like consider their own lives. So that is A Guidebook to Relative Strangers by Camille T. Dungy. And it is time for our second sponsor, which is Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. This is a debut novel about a young woman who wants to return magic to her world. Uh, Zeli Adebola can remember when the soil of Arisha, which is her world, uh, hummed with magic. There were burners that ignited flames and titers beckoned waves and her reaper mother summoned souls. But then everything changed the night that magic disappeared under the orders of a ruthless king all of the magi were killed which leaves Zeli without a mother and her people without hope but now she has a chance to bring back magic and strike against the monarchy with the help of a rogue princess so they have to outwit and outrun 
run the crown prince who is hellbent on er eradicating magic for good. And Zelly herself has to struggle to control her powers and her growing feelings for an enemy. So this is a, a, like a beautiful new world to read about. Um, the struggles of race, class, and oppression faced by the main characters are in like presented in the world of a narrative uh, and reflect the powerful themes that resonate with our times. Um, it's a West African-inspired fantasy, perfect for fans of Lee Bardugo and Sabah Tahir, and it's the first in a trilogy, so there is going to be more. And there's already a film in the works. There's a lot going on with this book, y'all. Uh, so if all of that sounds good to you, I, this book has been on my TBR list for a while. I'm really excited it's finally out and hope that the library list is not too long. Uh, you should check it out. It is Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It's so good. Uh, I'm so jealous that you've read it, it already. So Ugh, I gotta get it. Okay. It's just like a better Lord of the Rings. Ooh. <laughs> those that those are fighting words. I'm not right I'm, I'm not lying. Like it's if you like that kind of, you know, questing sort of fantasy novel, it's just this is better. <laughs> you know I do. You know I do. Well, now I really have. Maybe I'll just have to go buy, buy it. Okay. All right. So question five. Um, let's see. Is from April who says, my husband and I are going on the trip of a lifetime during the month of April. We will be traveling through the Panama Canal and stopping at all the Central American countries except El Salvador. We will also be making three stops in Mexico and Cartagena, Colombia. I'm looking for literary fiction novels that take place in Central America. No short stories, please. Uh, here are some books that I've read or are am familiar with. Uh, they are not don't take place in Central America, but just for context, uh, Sound of Things Falling by Juan Gabriel Vasquez, Like Water for Chocolate, How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent, Accents, and Anything by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. All right, Amanda, what happened was. <laughs> I did not notice that you said except El Salvador. <laughs> Whoops. Darn it. Okay, so I picked a book from an El Salvadorian author <laughs> that it is too late for me to change. So we're going to just roll with it. Super sorry. I should pay more attention. Okay, um, I picked The Dream of My Return by Horacio Castellanos Moya. It's translated by Catherine Silver. Um, and this is so, it is such a weird book and I love it so much for its weirdness. Um, it is like stream of consciousnessy. You know, when people say that, you think of like James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, whatever, but it's so much more, it's a hose of conscious. Like it's not a stream of conscious novel. It's like a river of consciousness. It's bizarre. And so the main character has fled El Salvador, right? He's living in exile in Mexico. Um, and he left during the civil war, uh, uh, in El Salvador and he's like a leftist sympathizer. And he was, you know, as a lot of people were really afraid that he was going to be like murdered in the night or disappeared or whatever. And so he has left and he, um, has a lot of physical ailments that may or may not be manifestations of like his mental trauma and pain. Um, and he decides he needs to go back to El Salvador because his marriage is falling apart he needs medical treatment. Um, and he's going to, you know, go home. And despite the fact that when the book takes place, the Civil War is ending, but it's still happening. So he doesn't really know. Like, he could go home and be immediately arrested. He could be, go home and be immediately shot. It could be fine. No one might, like, people might not remember who he is. Who knows? So he decides that he's going to treat his, some of his, like, back pain by being hypnotized. And when he does that, the book just devolves into this kind of, like, harebrained madness. Like, he unravels some murder plots. He goes on these really hysterical rants. Um, he has a lot of, like, 
philosophical arguments that he needs to get out on the page. And it sounds, you know, again, part two of me and this podcast talking about a book where like not a lot happens, but when you are done and you kind of sit back and are like, what did I just read? (laughs) If you think about it, you now know so much more about El Salvador and about what it's like to live in exile from a country that you don't know if you love anymore. Like, you know, people talk about exile so much as like I, the land of my my home, and I love it so much, and I can never return, and isn't that sad? But like maybe he doesn't love it. Like maybe it's just kind of the worst place, and maybe that's fine, you know. And these questions that he's thinking about um, when it comes to a homeland that is very violent and that has betrayed you in a lot of ways are are really interesting to me. And he does it in such just like a weird way. He's just a weird. It's weird, and I love it so much. So that's the dream of my return. I'm so sorry I picked an El Salvadorian <laughs> author for you by Horacio Castellanos Moya. Um, I have a post for you. In last year, the Read Harder Challenge included uh, a Central American writer writing about home um, task. And so I'm going to leave the link for that in the show notes because it's all organized by country. And I think you'll find some good stuff there. Um, The book I picked for you is The World in Half by Christina Henriquez. And it sort of starts like it's another returning to home one except for that Well, I'll just tell you what it is. (laughs) I don't know why I'm trying to, like, caveat it. So it's about a young woman named Miraflores um, who has not known her father. Um, She – and has just assumed that, like, everybody wanted it that way. Her mother had an affair with her biological father when she was stationed with her then-husband in Panama. Um, And then her mother, like, returned to the United States, had Miraflores – Mary Flowers grows up, but now she's returned to Chicago where she grew up to care for her mother who is ill. Um, She discovers that actually maybe that's not what happened and maybe her father did want her uh, and did want to see her grow up. So she decides that she's going to go to Panama to try to find this man and maybe even like reunite him with her mother. And like, basically she's like, I'm going to put my identity back together in this way that I've always wished, but didn't know was possible. Of course, nothing ever turns out that way. Right. So what she finds is very unexpected. Um, and the reason I picked this one is because I haven't read this one, but Christina Henriquez also wrote the book of unknown Americans, which was, amazing um she's a really good writer and i thought that a book situated in panama that also has some united states context would be a nice option for you and also like it just sounds great i want to read this book everybody should want to read this book um so that is the world in half by christina henriquez all right question six is from Anne, who says can you help me find books that are on audio and light in subject matter as a grad student in my free time i spend a lot of time stressed out and would like my audiobooks to be a break from that and c simple enough that i can still follow even if i get a little distracted by a more complicated than usual problem at work something like a cozy mystery or a fluffy romance like austin land might be good but i don't know where to start bonus points for sff flavors but they're not necessary and extra bonus points for diversity of any kind which i feel like i don't get enough of Ooh, I'm so, my dog, you can probably hear this. My dog is on the sofa having a dream and she's like barking <laughs> that she's dreaming about. I'm sorry, that's weird. Um, okay, so I've already read Sarah McLean and Tessa Dare. Also, I used to love Lillian Jackson Braun's The Cat Who series, but I've not kept up with the latest in cozy mystery good stuff. Okay, um, I picked Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Cowell for you, which is a essentially a light fantasy retelling of Pride and Prejudice. So if you it, you asked for something like Austin Land, and that is this is basically what that is, but with magic. Um, like the main character's name is Jane. You know, like she's not hiding that this is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice here. Um, Pride and Prejudice. 
So Jane and her sister Melody live in what is essentially Regency England. The only difference is that glamour exists. And glamour is their version of magic um, where people can manipulate, like they can make illusions. You know, you can make, like if your nose is too long, you can make your nose look shorter. If you are decorating a room, you can make make it smell like vanilla if you feel like it. Um, so uh, the, the government is like examining ways to use glamour in the military. Like, wouldn't it be nice if we could hide our whole army? But it, nobody's quite gotten that advanced yet. So... Um, it's kind of a thing that's taught to women along with like needlework and, and how to serve tea nicely. It does, it's a very um, unthreatening kind of magical system. So Jane is really good at glamour. She's very talented. She's very smart. But she's also like 28 years old, not married yet. She's not pretty. And she's kind of resigned herself to the fact her in her head that she's going to end up as, as like a spinster. Spinster. Her sister Melody is younger, is 18, and is beautiful, but is also not so bright and is not talented in the doing of the magics so much. So they both are like, they, they love each other, but they're both kind of secretly jealous of the things that the other has. And then they both fall for the same guy, which sets up, you know, a lot of, a lot of rivalry. Um, into the, that situation comes a new fella named Mr. Vincent, who is like world known for being excellent at glamour. He's what they call in the book a glamourist, glamuralist. I don't remember um, the exact word, but he creates these like beautiful, intricate, huge works of glamour for art. Like he's just an artist and him and Jane don't hit it off very well at first. Um, he's very prickly. You know, he might have a little bit of pride and she might have a little bit of prejudice, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Uh, hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. <laughs> uh, and then Melody gets involved uh, with uh, another man who she falls in love with or thinks she's falling in love with um, who does not have her best interests. I feel like I don't need to really... Like, you, you're familiar with the plot of Pride and Prejudice, so you kind of, I'm sure, see where that's going. And then glamour is involved. Like, if you add magic to what Pride and Prejudice would have been if everyone could do a little bit of magic, that's what you get here. Um, it's not so intricately plotted that if you get distracted by something you're doing at work, you're going to, like, miss the whole thing because I listened to this while I was driving in my car. And, you know, when you're driving, like, you zone out. You're not paying attention to what you're listening to sometimes. And it was fine. I had a perfectly lovely experience listening to this on audiobook. So that's Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Cowell, which is not diverse in and of itself, but it is the first in the series. And I'm pretty sure this, is it the second one? Um, no, it's actually the fifth. Well, I was going to say it gets more diverse as it goes, but maybe that was a lie. The fifth one has a black woman on the cover and is still set in this magical Regency um, universe. So maybe you could just skip to the fifth one. <laughs> so Godspeed. And actually, I'm going to recommend the second one also. Yes. Um, because this apparently is like a topic that I'm very passionate about. So our second pick for you is Death Comes to Pemberley by P.D. James. And I picked this because it is another continuation of the Jane Austen kind of universe, but this one is a cozy mystery. So you can take one or the other or listen to both. I did listen to both of them on audio and enjoyed them both um, in that format. Um, so this takes place, Death Comes to Pemberley takes place in Pemberley after Pride and Prejudice has happened. So Darcy and Elizabeth have been married for like six or seven years. They have children. Jane and Bingley are married and like live nearby and everything is nice and orderly and they're all living their lives. Lydia is still married to Wickham and they're still kind of the worst and everybody hates them. But, you know, we're all rich and white, so it's fine because these aren't real problems. So they're just like moving on with their lives. And then Lydia shows up at the Darcy's house at Pemberley in like this crazy wagon going a million miles an hour. She comes out of the wagon screaming about how Wickham is dead. Wickham's been murdered. And everybody is like, 
sad. <laughs> oh, isn't that what a shame? <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Oh, oh darn. <laughs> um, so Darcy, like, you know, gathers a group of men, of manly men, to go off into the woods to find out what's happened. Come to find out, Wickham is not dead. Wickham is drunk. But, but his friend is dead. Um, and, you know, I don't remember his name. He's a side character from... Denny. Pride it's and, Denny. Yes, Denny. A side character from Pride and Prejudice. So you will, pro- you will remember him when they talk about him in the book. So Denny is dead. He has been hit in the back of the head with something. Um, probably a rock. You don't know. And Wickham, when they find him, admit, I killed him. I killed, you know, like admits to the murder. So he's arrested immediately. And then the rest of the book is them trying to figure out if he actually did it. And, you know, there are twists and there are turns and there are secret babies and there, you know, Wickham being the worst, because that's really what they should have called this book, Wickham being the worst. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, it's one of those audiobooks that you don't really have to pay, like, tons and tons of attention to. Uh, it isn't a thing where, like, every leaf that's overturned is an important clue that's vital to the case. Um, that's not that's not really what's happening here. So it's, and it is cozy in that, like, someone is murdered, but it's not grotesque or super violent on the page, um, and it's got that, you know, like nice comfort of a Jane Austen universe. So that's Death Comes to Pemberley by P.D. James. I did also love that book. Um, I'm glad to hear the audio is good. Okay, next question is from Daniela, who says, I'm in dire need of help. I'm going through a major life transition, and I found that the books that I would normally turn to don't seem to work anymore. I would like some recommendations of memoirs, nonfiction or fiction, that feature strong women who have made radical changes to their lives. Um, This is when I do my obligatory Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strait (laughs) recommendation. You've all heard me recommend it a million times, but if on the off chance it is not part of your collection it is a collection of advice columns by Cheryl Strayed um, from when she was an anonymous advice giver on the internet and they're really lovely and have a lot of have just a lot of insight and and niceness in them I love them um but I'm the book I actually picked for you is Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown, which is uh, the subtitle is The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. And I read this book in sort of late 2017, and it was really kind of perfect because I, I think a lot of us have been struggling with how do we be part of communities that are becoming like it's it's harder and harder to have conversations around certain like issues like politics and religion and whatever because of the current administration um, that don't turn into shouting matches and like should they turn into shouting matches like where do you draw the line with people you thought you were friends with but now they're sort of on a side that you can't see and and also if you are a part of a community that's making choices you don't agree with like how do you deal with that how do you transition your life when you're moving away from people you thought you were part of a community with. And that may not be your situation, but I feel like Brene Brown has so much thoughtfulness around this really complicated issue and doesn't underplay the complicatedness of it. Like it is not easy to talk to family or to your faith community or whoever um, about these issues if you feel like you're on a different side than they are. And it's not easy to know what the right boundary to draw is. Um, And so she just is basically giving a framework for thinking about like, what is important to you and how do you want to make that a part of your life? And what do you do when it's really scary? Um, Because it is really scary. And, And I think that this is so... I found it so helpful and so sort of soothing in that like, 
other people are also struggling with these things and they're also they there are not easy answers and it is okay to like be struggling with it but also here are some here are some tools for for you in your struggle uh and i mean she is writing she's a white woman so she's writing from that place of privilege but she does some interviews and and tries to sort of address that privilege throughout the book so um from where i'm sitting you know she she was conscious of it uh, so that is something that might be helpful as well. Um, so again, that is Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. All right. I picked Hammerhead by Nina McLaughlin, <clears throat> excuse me, which is a memoir about a woman who, uh, a woman, who, the author, it's a memoir about the author. <laughs> That's how <laughs> memoirs work. Um, she worked at a Boston newspaper and spent, you know, like her early adulthood and, and just the period of her 20s kind of just sitting at a desk, staring at a computer, doing the newspaper job kind of thing. Um, and she was very dissatisfied with it. And so kind of on a whim, she applies for a Craigslist position for a carpenter's assistant. And the ad on Craigslist specifically mentioned that women were really strongly encouraged to, you know, to apply. Um, so Nina is, has a degree in like the classics, like Ovid, <laughs> like the classics. Uh, could not tell you how to work a drill, none of that kind of stuff. But she somehow, like she goes to an audition at this house that the, um, the carpenter who put the ad in, is, is doing a tile work for, I think. And she gets the job, like, miraculously somehow. So she quits working at the Boston newspaper to go be a carpenter's assistant. And this is a book about that experience. So she leaves, you know, this kind of really fast-paced, pressure kind of job to, like, go build stuff with her hands, which is a huge change. Um, and, you know, the, the occupation is, is mostly men, the world of carpentry, and how she's talking about, like, the change from doing that kind of what they call knowledge work to like manual labor really changed how she saw the world and the people around her. My favorite person in this book is not Nina. It's Mary, who is the carpenter who hires her, who is like this very small, no-nonsense kind of foul-mouthed woman who I love so much. All of the side characters are really great. Like she she makes friends with a bunch of like plumbers and people who work at hardware stores. Because, you know, when you're a carpenter, you like become friends with the dudes who work at the hardware stores, all of the, the clients that she has to deal with. But the whole, the whole time that she's doing this, you know, she's telling the story of what that transition is like, she's weaving in her classics knowledge. So you do get a lot of, like, Homer <laughs> in the conversations about the difference between a Phillips head screwdriver and a flathead screwdriver. Um, and she talks, uh, you know, uh, she, she, like, there's the history of the tools that she's using. She talks about the different varieties of wood that she ends up becoming really familiar with. Um, and I, I just really, like, appreciated all of that because I don't know anything about any of that sort of I don't I'm not good I'm not handy in at all um but I would like to be so like watching a woman go from having a job a really kind of enviable job that I think a lot of people would want to have you know working at a newspaper especially now um in a big city to working with her hands is like such the opposite of our normal Western capitalist trajectory, like career trajectory that I don't know, just it's inherently really kind of fascinating. So that's Hammerhead, The Making of a Carpenter by Nina McLaughlin. Cosign. Love that book. That's our show. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier to find when people are searching for it. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. You can find us on social media. I'm kind of back on Twitter these days, but mostly on Instagram. Both is, um, you can find me both uh, on either <laughs> words at I'm Amanda Nelson. And, well, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and I'm on Tumblr. <laughs> it's jenirl.tumblr.com. And that's my story. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.